I've titled our sermon this morning, God is Our Refuge. When I prepare a a series of sermons or I prepare the preaching calendar, I usually work a number of months in advance. It's not like every Sunday on Friday or Saturday, okay, what would be good to preach this coming Sunday? No, it is it is a with lot, lot of uh, contemplation, thinking, meditation, and prayer that I work ahead. So this particular Sunday, for today, April twenty fifth, the the I put in my had put in my calendar several months ago, Psalm ninety one, and the caption there, God is our refuge, and I just use that as a title. God is our refuge. At that point in time, I didn't think about what the restrictions would be that we would be facing right now as we speak. And the question I want to ask is, are we in a safe place? Is God our refuge? What is our refuge? And right now, I know that a lot of people, is this thing making noise? Is this okay? Okay. Right now, a lot of people are very worried. They don't feel very safe. And for a variety of reasons, and I don't know where your heart is. We could talk about a myriad of issues and situations and circumstances. But that does not negate the promise of God that he's our refuge. But what does that mean? How do we understand that? Does refuge mean a safe place in the sense, okay, we're going to lock the door and nobody's going to come in and we're going to be safe from exposure to risk and danger? Does that mean that? I want to ask, is God my safe place? Is God our refuge? He's a refuge. Maybe we believe that. But is he our refuge? Maybe this morning you are feeling vulnerable. Maybe you're not feeling safe. Maybe you feel unprotected. Whatever the case may be, I want to say to all of us this morning, Psalm 91 is very applicable and times like ours that we're going through. Maybe you are exhausted, tired, with the endless merry-go-round of ongoing, confusing changes that keep going. It can be very draining and exhausting. There's no denying that times are not easy. And it could be a whole myriad of issues, as I was saying. But... God is still a place of refuge. Before we start into the passage itself, Psalm 91, I want to first read Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. And in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What's that all about? This was a time in the land of Israel when the nation of Israel was not going through such a good time. Things were difficult. It was not the worst of times, but things were challenging. And so Zerubbabel was a leader. He was the leader of the the nation. Uh, he He was in charge, and people looked to him for direction and guidance. And the prophet Zechariah had a word for him. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. And I, I just want us to keep that in the background this morning, in the back burner, or maybe on the, on the table this morning, on the, as we talk about Psalm 91. It's not by the powerful, the earthly things, it's by God's spirit that we will be sustained, that God will give us direction, God will lead us. So whatever struggle it is, 
that we're facing, we must always remember the struggle is first and foremost a spiritual struggle before it is a physical struggle. But oftentimes we reverse that and we approach it from a reverse position and we get ourselves in all kinds of problems. <clears throat> Too often we see the struggles only as physical in the here and now and we miss the bigger picture. Often we lose sight of what the issue is or where the issue is and we become confused, distracted, and when that happens, that is when burnout happens. This morning, as we look into Psalm 91, we will see how the psalmist describes God as our refuge. Commentators are not exactly sure who wrote this psalm. It's thought that perhaps Moses wrote it, or perhaps David wrote it. They don't all agree, and it's not quite sure. But regardless whether it was Moses who wrote the psalm, or it was David who wrote the psalm. Both men, Moses and David, had a very deep relationship with God. Also, both of these men had a very serious uh, series of difficulties and challenges in life that they had to wrestle with and, and deal with. One thing I also want to say before we begin reading is this is not an escape hatch or an escape plan. This is not a get-away-from-trouble kind of psalm. That's not what we should try to find here. But what we can say is Psalm 91 is a passage that helps us to get focused, oriented toward God in spite of challenging times. Later on toward the close of my sermon, I want to talk a little bit about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, how Paul describes his life and what he's gone through and how that parallels with Psalm 91. We can, however... Today, as Christians, followers of Jesus, we can today, here and now, claim this psalm as our own, as a refuge. God is our refuge. He is a place where we can find rest and security, no matter how difficult the circumstances may be. So let's begin reading. Psalm 91, verse 1. <clears throat> he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's the introduction. Verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. What I also want to say is, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this, is this is foundational. What the psalmist is doing here is he's establishing what the foundation is, what the point of reference is from which he operates, from which he thinks, from which he looks at life. My Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That's out of which everything flows. His life is grounded in God. The writer begins with God as the foundation for everything. He speaks of himself. He's aligned his life with God. Everything about his life is lined up with the teachings of God. What we will also find as we go further is he, he switches. He goes from speaking of the reader to himself. Of himself, he says, I will say to the Lord my refuge. And then he goes and talks to his audience or to his listener. What we also see and just want to mention this so you'll notice it when, you, when, you, when we read through it, we'll find he speaks in a defense mode. Later on in the psalm, he goes to offense mode. And there's a difference there. Let's say you play a game of hockey. There's what's called defense, so they can't get the puck into your net. There's offense because you want to get the puck into their net. There's kind of a defense mode here, and there's also offense mode. Just keep these thoughts together as we go through this psalm. And again... I want to also again just remind us, let's not use this as a springboard into a health, wealth, prosperity gospel, or, okay, God's going to make sure I don't get exposed to danger. That's not at all it. 
We are promised challenges. We're promised exposure to suffering and suffering and hardship and maybe even death. But let's, let's see. Let's read verse 3. He says, For he, meaning God, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. This is a lot of word imagery, metaphors, what the psalmist is using. He's delivering him from what he will be exposed to, in the sense that there's danger. The fowler means somebody who throws out a net, and there's put some food on there, and when the bird lands, the net closes, and it has the bird. The psalmist does not literally mean he's going to get caught in a physical net designed for birds. That's not what he means. What he is saying is, there will be situations in your life that will look very inviting, very enticing, very attractive, but you'll be spared from it based on his relationship with God. He will not be caught and ensnared in these difficult situations. In fact, God's covering is over him. He will recognize these situations when they come. The snare of the fowler will not trap him. The pestilence will not kill him. He will be exposed to danger. There will be risks that he will face, but he will be kept safe in and through them. This is a word picture of unknown circumstance, of confusion and chaos designed to confuse and distract God's people. Circumstances and situations designed to bring down the innocent. The fowler and the pestilence are there for the destruction, for the, the, the disintegration of this person's life. And the psalmist says, you will be protected and delivered from that. He's promised God's protection. Then he goes on in verse 5, he says, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes the noonday. That is so packed, it's so rich, it just is loaded with what can go wrong or what is going wrong, and yet you will be spared. One commentary that I read mentioned that there are four threats mentioned in verse 5 and five to 6 that the psalmist tells the listener here he'll be spared from fear of terror at night, uncertainty, chaos, and confusion. It won't get you down. The air that flies by day, open, bold, abrasive, aggressive circumstances against you, they will not get you down. Pestilence, again, the situation is beyond his control, designed to take him down. He will not be taken down by them. Destruction that wastes at noonday, disintegration and collapse all around him, it will not take you down. Multifaceted problems from many different angles, many different levels, and you will survive them. Some of them could be political, could be military, could be economic, could be relational, could be physical. A bunch of problems. All of this boils down to this. Life is a mess. No certainty, no security, no clarity, no direction, no consistency, no dependability or reliability. Doesn't that sound a little bit like the world today? Some countries more, some countries less. Doesn't that sound a little bit like today? Have you ever thought of it? If worry, fear, discouragement, anxiety, depression, if it came in liquid form or a substance in a, bo in a, in a box, it would be contraband. People would be arrested and charged and jailed for selling it. But you know something? That is being forced down our throats every day through social media, mainstream media, what have you. Be scared. Be afraid. I'm not saying we shouldn't be cautious 
or alert and aware. But fear has no basis in the life of a Christian. And I'm speaking to myself too, and yet we do it. We don't ingest this physically, but we do ingest it through the ear gate and the eye gate constantly. And it poisons our thoughts and causes lots of problems. It's been said and proven, if you don't listen to the news so much, you actually feel better. You do better physically, emotionally, and mentally. I'm not saying bury our heads in the sand, but don't listen to the uh, news of the fowler and the, sna and the snares and the pestilence and all that stuff. Don't, don't focus on it. Don't be afraid of going to God and trusting him to be your safe place. And if we're with God, then we have no reason to fear. God is our refuge. We need to carefully consider daily, who am I going to put my trust in today? Government? They can do a few things, but they're not ultimately my, my, my rescue. They, they can't save me. My pastor, he can die. He's, he's here gone. To, he's just human. Sure, we can pray for each other, and that's good. But I'm not your rescue. Family, friends? No. Stuff, toys? No. Money? No. God is our refuge. What we are not... What we're, what we're not given is shelter from risk. Even though God is our refuge, even though we're safe in him, the danger still is there. Let's, let's read verse 7. He said, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You're going to be in the midst of difficulties, challenging th times. Verse 8, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. This is hard to understand, hard to grasp. We're never safer than when we're close to God, no matter what the circumstances around us are. We're never in greater danger than when we're far from God, even though everything may look so serene, so calm, and so peaceful. Let's reflect on the setting here. The writer said in the beginning of the chapter that God was his refuge. He built his life on God. Everything comes from there. Because of this person's foundation and what his life is grounded and based upon, because of his relationship, he will not fall victim to the circumstances. Again, I need to remind us, we must be careful. We do not take this passage as an escape from exposure to physical danger or hardship. Sufferings and trials do happen to God's people, but God's people do not succumb to it. They win in the struggle. To be spared from risk and exposure is perhaps nice. It's just what I'll say. Something to thank God for, perhaps even. But being spared risk and danger or exposure, that's not victory. Victory is not when you've never played the game. Victory is when you've played and won. That's victory. Often we talk about our spiritual battles. You can never claim victory for something you never wrestled with. Something you've never been tempted with. Only when we've been tempted, when we've exposed to the testing... Only when we've won in that sense can we say we've gained the victory. If we're not tested, we cannot celebrate the victory. A team can only claim victory in a game they've played and won. At a young Alice Bible study, we talked about Daniel's three friends. They were thrown into the fire for refusing to worship 
the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They were not spared exposure, but in the danger they were protected. And they knew that God could protect them or he might allow them to be burned. And they simply said, we do not need to answer you, O king. We will not bow down. And if God can protect us, and if he won't, we will not worship. They were very secure. God was their refuge. They were not worried. Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? No, we're just not going to do that. And that's that. I think that's pretty good. When we look at the saints in the past, even in our time, we see this over and over again. Our greatest danger is not the problems the world throws at us. Our danger is that we need to be close to God to be aware of the danger. The snare of the fowler will not get those who are walking close to God. He will escape the net. He will be exposed to it, but he'll escape it. The saints who live and suffer well have a much greater chance of surviving the attacks of the world than those who are waffling in their faith and who are not sure and who are, who are wandering about from here to there. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians when he was in prison. And in that letter, he, chapter 1, he talks about dying, going home to be with Jesus. He expresses his desire to die and go home to be with, be with Jesus. Also, he has a longing to stay with the church, which means more ministry for, for them. But as either way, I'm okay. God was his refuge. He says, however things will turn out, he's convinced God will be honored. Satan cannot get people like that. Let's go back again to verse 9 where it says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Do we have, made, have we made the Lord our dwelling place? Or have we made worry our dwelling place? Maybe, I, maybe I'm the only one here that, that struggles with this so much because I do struggle with this. Some people make this world their dwelling place. If only this and if only that, it's all we have. There's dread and there's fear and it doesn't help us. The reader is reminded that God's angels will protect him. Remember before I said he was on defense mode? Now it goes on offense. Let's look at that. Verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I'll protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Again, we're reading in a massive mosaic of word pictures, metaphors here. It's not literally that he will actually be stepping on live lions or treading on poisonous snakes. It's not what it means. But what it does mean is there will be situations and circumstances that he will face where he will be strong and victorious, and not just will he endure, he will win. Let me say it this way. In all of history, from the time of Pentecost, when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, the true church of Jesus... I'm not talking about wannabe churches or groups that have an idea about church, but the true church of Jesus has never lost. Never once has the church lost. Oh, they've suffered. They've been oppressed. Many have been killed. But every time when the persecution came and the sufferings happened, it only fed the fire, the flames that continued to burn brighter and stronger, and the church has just grown. The fires of persecution have raised viciously and very severely many times, 
But in general, the church has just grown. Just, just read the stories of the persecuted church today. It's still happening. Many die. They face the persecutors, but they still, they tread on the lion and the adder. They do not give in. And they are delivered. Maybe not physically here and now as such, but they have an eternal reward. We have that over and over again. We must never look at a Christian that dies from persecutions having lost, having lost his refuge, or God has somehow not measured up to his promises. But they're the ones who gain the victory. And if you doubt that, just read Revelation chapter 6, 9 to 11. They die for their faith as winners, not losers. And just because disciples die for their faith does not mean the psalm is not true. If anything, it ups the ante. When an enemy of God takes the life of one of God's children, God takes that as a special sacrifice that Christian has made. He's not a loser, he's a winner. God is the refuge for his people, regardless of where they find themselves in their situations in life. I said before I was going to close, um, toward the end I would read Romans, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. The Apostle Paul lived a very difficult and challenging life, very meaningful and purposeful life, and God was his refuge. We read earlier in Psalm 91 about the fowler, but how God was going to protect him from falling victim to it. Paul had faced the fowler many a time. Many people had it out for him. He could have so easily compromised. He didn't. He faced jail, disease, pestilence many times. And God always helped him. Numerous times he stepped in the lines and adders of his time. Even though he faced prison and hardship, he was so strong and powerful, many churches were started through him. Not only was he able to take it as a, as a saint for himself personally, it rubbed off and many people benefited from it. Let's close with um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning verse 7. It says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. As I said before, not by might or by power, but by my spirit. That verse, continuing in verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He faced the snares, the fowlers, the traps, the lions, and the adders, and he won. How are we doing? I want to say many are doing fine. I talk with different people. Many are holding up well. I'm very grateful and very thankful. Some of us are struggling more than others. I want to encourage all of us to use Psalm 91 as a refuge where we come close to God. All that we do in obedience to God, no matter how frail it looks, how small it looks, insignificant it looks, will bear fruit in its time. The sufferings of the world are part of what it is to be on the journey with Jesus. Even when the world seems to fall apart, we'll continue to stand in God's mercy and grace. We'll be kept by his love. I just want to also say this. Maybe there are people here today who've never made that choice to follow Jesus, to put their trust in him, to repent of their sin, and serve him as Lord and King of their life. Jesus died to pay for our sins, and today we have that assurance. If we repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness, believe in and put our trust in him, walk in newness of life, we will join God's children in eternity, and God is not just now our refuge, for all eternity he is that. May God be gracious to each one of us this week as we seek to worship Jesus as Lord and King, and as we trust him as our refuge. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word to us. You've promised to be our refuge, to direct our paths, 
We're thankful you do not change. You've chosen us as your servants. We're thankful for the gift of grace for eternal life through your son, Jesus. We ask, Lord, you'd reveal yourself to us increasingly and guide us in your footsteps. Thank you for your promise. We pray for strength and courage, for obedience in our hearts and all things. In your name we pray.